Over the past year, we've leveraged Vistaprint services to help us on our mission to inspire entrepreneurs of color. They've helped us print stickers, t-shirts, tote bags, mugs, and even snapback hats. Yes, they print just about everything. My point is, they print a lot more than just business cards. So as you look for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vistaprint. The printabilities are endless at vistaprint.com. We started putting immigrants and love on clothing, all thrift clothing. Yeah, that, so y'all would go thrift, find some re, stuff that works, and then print it. Like, that's dope. If it was this jacket, well, they'd probably cut the sleeves and make it a vest <laughs> and just draw something. And we created maybe like a 20-piece one-of-one collection. <laughs> and then we shot it and then did the first shirt that was done in sort of production. <laughs> and we only made 24 of them was a, a love shirt. We put KOI in the front <laughs> and love in the back. Yeah. And we released it and we told the story. Mm. And out of those 24, I think we sold 18 and it sold out first day. How did you sell them? Like, were you like, online. did you do street vending? You went online. Yeah, but we actually shot it at street vendors because that was a whole inspiration yeah. at the time. And it sold out 18 shirts. We went crazy. I'm Bima, and on today's show, we talk to Daniel Buzo, co-founder of Kids of Immigrants. Daniel is one of those people that truly understands what it means to support your friends, spread positivity, and make your wildest dreams come true. Originally from Brooklyn, where his parents called home after immigrating from Honduras, Daniel's role models were the cats on the block. Since a youngin', he's always been about community and having the backs of his homies and loved ones. And when he was only 18, his sister unexpectedly passed away and it sent Daniel into a very dark place of rage. He started getting in trouble a lot and was even arrested for silly things like trespassing. After making a promise to himself to never go back to jail, Daniel would shift into a life of social work and to help kids that grew up like him as a way to reach back and honor his sister. Now, continuing this new direction in his life, he'd move around a bit from Brooklyn to VA, from VA to the Bay, and finally to LA in March of 2014. While the sunshine of L.A. was great, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Initially, Daniel had a job transfer set up for his arrival, but he would soon learn it didn't go through. So he decided his only option was to completely empty out his 401k to make ends meet. Through a happenstance encounter with his friend David, Daniel would meet Grammy-nominated singer Kehlani and join the team as a tour stylist. Inspired by the grind and seeing the world, Daniel later decided to set out on his own entrepreneurial path. He and his business partner, Wella, decided they didn't exactly know what they wanted to do, but they did have the name Kids of Immigrants. And soon, they'd be inspired to translate that vision to clothing and community. In our conversation ahead, Daniel shares a story about letting go of his past to focus on his future. It was part of my life, my identity. Um, it was a big part of like what I felt tied back to where I come from. Mm. And when I say where I come from, not necessarily like my roots, but just like my upbringings and experience, my, my struggles, mm. my challenges in life. Like I was, it was inspired by like me and the, me, all the homies got started locking up. And we were, we, were, we were like, that was like our like signature for me and the homies. And um, I was 18, so I was in a different space. Yeah. And... At that time, I was like in trouble for like distribution of marijuana, which is crazy nowadays. Now, now when you think about was, today, <laughs> in, in New York is, you know, it was illegal my whole time. Yeah, and uh, I was facing like three years, and my mentality at that time was just a different me. I was yeah. like, yo, you know, 
I go do this three. I do this, three and then I'll be back out. Yeah, I come home. My my hair's long. You know, the short period. Yep. I'll be locked up. <laughs> so nothing to prove. Um, and it was a lot more tied to it. I feel like it was very much just rooted from that. And I felt like my whole time as I evolved as a person, I felt like I can never forget where I come from and who yeah. that person was. And I feel like a lot of what I do is be that hero to that kid mm -hmm. that was lost. Yeah. And I felt like for those reasons, I can never let go of it. And then the end of last year, I hurt like my neck, shoulder, like working out. And then the, the <laughs> doctor, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, the doctor was like, you know, your hair's really heavy. And I don't know. They're like, you know, you have to figure out how you want to like tie it, tie it maybe on top of your head so it's not pulling Pulling. all the time. And then I think it started coming across my mind of like hmm. letting it go. Hmm. I was in Barcelona in the summer and I knew that I took a trip to Europe for two weeks and I knew in those two weeks I wanted to take it to like for myself. Yeah, you just like, just, you've been going and you're like, I just kind of yeah. want to pause and just... Yeah, just figure some out. Yeah. And one day I woke up, I was like, I think, I think today is the day. I, <laughs> I prayed for like an hour. Yeah. And I was like emotionally and spiritually just detached from it and I just chopped it. Wow. Yeah. How do you feel since, right? Because that's, you know, that was so much, right? Yeah. And now it's kind of like that new era for you, pun intended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, how does that feel? It was the best decision I've made probably this year. Hmm. One of the best, just because it, it was an immediate like just weight off my shoulder and it and I feel like I came to it in a peaceful way still representing that kid that you know was lost yeah but was able to be like I'm more than just my hair and also just like sometimes when you come up in pain and struggle okay. like that's your identity and as much as like pain is not good it's not it's uncomfortable and it's something you don't really want to experience yeah. when you, that's all you know, you're scared to even get out of get that. Out of, right, yeah, because it becomes normal. Shot. It yeah, becomes like, very normal. It's like, oh, I don't want life to be too good because <laughs> my, you know, I'm wired to go through pain, to go through struggle. So it's like, you know, it sounds a little silly, but it's like I was scared to like be like, nah, I don't, <laughs> my life doesn't have to have all these challenges oh, and all these, this pain tied to it. Yeah. So I felt like letting it go was like, it's just like, why were you holding on why to that for so long? For so but long. I think I just didn't know how to identify myself. Like there was so much identity mm. in that. It's like, who would I be if it wasn't for that? Like, yeah. so now I feel free. Now you feel free. I think that's super important. You know, growth, we all have to grow one way or another, whether it's on our own or whether it's through force, you know, because life happens. You know, thinking about, Growing up, like you grew up in the 80s in New York, uh, Honduran parents. What's the difference between that kid then and you now? Um, I was born in 88, so I grew up in the 90s. Mm -hmm. you, you just put like 10 years yeah. on me right now. <laughs> 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 trying to stay he said, young. He said, he um, said no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I definitely grew up in that era. I don't know. I don't even know what generation I am, millennial, whatever. Um, don't label yourself. Like, you know, I think I feel like I would. I grew up in in Brooklyn, then also lived in Jersey when my parents separated. But just grew up as a kid that really didn't have any aspirations. You know, I think I didn't never thought about college. To be honest, I my role models were the. The dope dealers. Because that's who you like, saw, right? The block. That's who, like, was who you saw. They, they had the jewelry, the cars, the Escalades on 24s. You oh know, my God, they had with the, with the low they, pro tie. You know. they, they had all that. That was like, that's what I want to be. Yeah. And then I had relationships with them. So, like, they were my homies and they took care of me, you know. Did it feel like, obviously, the environment may have been not safe, but you obviously felt safe. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was normal. Hmm. I think. We have social media now, and but like, I feel like 
you know, it's great that a lot of these things are being magnified nowadays of what really goes on in the hood. But it's like this has always been going on. Mm -hmm. This is not it's new. It's not new news. Yeah. New to some people. <laughs> yeah. Now, maybe like more people know or there's more awareness on yeah. it, but this is normal. It's normal. Me. How did you feel like you were a product of that environment at a young age? Like what, you know, outside of obviously we talked through kind of the, the marijuana situation, but were there other ways where you felt like this is just me responding to the situation I'm in? Yeah, I mean, that's all I knew. So it's like, I think, you know, you think of like how hard we go for our block, our set, our gang, whatever that community is, you know, it's like when that's all you got, you're willing to put mm -hmm. everything on the line for it. So, you know, when you don't have those aspirations, you know, it feels like, yeah, I'm willing to do anything for the homies because this is all I got anyway. How young were you when that mentality started to take shape? I think it was always there. Now it's transformed into a whole community and yeah. brand, but <laughs> I was always about the people hmm. around me since I was a kid. Hmm. And I was the one having all my boys back. Yeah. They had my back. And then, you know, I think as young as like 12, 13, like my first time being arrested by like, and it was just so normal. It was just like, it's you almost like you, you get out and you like got this chest. Yeah, you're like, oh yeah, I got, got that I got, my, I got my stripes, you know? <laughs> oh, um, but it was like just being a product of your environment. And I think I always say like, we don't do better because we don't know better. Yeah. So it's like when you don't know and also when the when you're not inspired because someone could be giving dropping the the best life advices but if i can't connect i can't connect i don't know them they're not in my community yeah it's like how's it real yeah it's like that's cool for you hmm. you know and then like just middle school high school like it was me and the homies yeah. that's all that mattered to me and you know looking back now i was always a leader in my own way um as far as like what i used to say and i still feel this way but not as uh i don't know if dramatic is the right way but it would be i'll, I'll live and die for the truth mm -hmm. so that was my thing it was just like i wasn't a troublemaker like i wasn't like necessarily like a bully mm -hmm. but if you go against mine mm -hmm. then that was my reaction yeah you can be here you're not yeah. running away from it yeah yeah i would say one of the probably the turning points at least what i started to see in your story was um you were 18 and your sister passed away what do you remember about the impact that had on you? Yeah, I feel like that was ironically the best thing that happened to me. One, you know, I'm in a spiritual space where she's here with me. Like, I feel it. Yeah. But I think at that point in my life, I had to really look at myself in the mirror and be like, what are you going to do with life? Mm -hmm. What are you about to do about this? Mm -hmm. My sister wasn't a bad person. She died in jail. Um, and she was arrested by being in a car that was stolen, that shooting still. But anyhow, long story long short, long time. is like this person that's my sister, you know, that I grew up with my whole life, wasn't a bad person. There was so much speculation about what happened. And me and my friends were upset. Well, every for the most part, everybody was upset at her boyfriend. Mm. And when I mean upset, it was like, he, he got to go. Something got to happen to him. Somebody looking for him, yeah. And I think that was like, it was like a dark place in my life where I was like, like I said, I've never been like, it's not like I was trying to fight You weren't trying to be like a menace. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, my sister's not coming back. She went to jail because of him. And it's like, I just remember just waking up, feeling dark hmm. and like, you know, I got to go put my hands and feet on this guy. Yeah. And it's an ugly way to live. Mm. And I think I ended up getting locked up for something dumb. Like uh, I was trespassing. I was in the projects across the street from my house and the cops just ran down and they just wanted. That's what I'm saying. All the stuff that goes on with harassment. I wish I knew my rights in a way or just knew how to speak up. Right. Because like. They arrested me because I was um, 
trespassing. My mom's house literally is here and the projects is here. But basically they were like, if you don't live in the projects, uh, we're arresting you for trespassing. I went to jail and I was 18. It was still that year after my sister. And I just remember, like I didn't go into like, I didn't get processed and I got bailed out immediately by my homie Juan, shout out to him. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember being like, this is my last time ever going to jail. doing this. Like I was like, I'm never coming back. Wow. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that that was truly going to happen. Yeah. But that but was I, your intent. Yeah. It was like, you know, those like moments in my life of like speaking with my words, having that much power, mm-hmm. you know, was the beginning of that, like understanding everything that I consume and everything that I say mm-hmm. will come back around. Yeah. So you, you're in a mentally transformative place when that happens and you're going through this. And eventually, this idea around social work starts to percolate. What's your initial connection back to social work? My youth pastor was like, yo, I want you to be a camp counselor uh, for, you know, like, uh, we'll pay you 150 a week or 75 hours a week, something like that. <laughs> it was like, you know, volunteer work. Yeah. With a little checking on it. Yeah. <laughs> 75 hours when you broke is amazing. Yeah. Um, Anything. So, yeah. Um, and I was like, I was like, Mo, you know who I am, right? Like, you, you, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm kind of a wild boy, you know, like, I'm not like, I don't think I'm like a, you know, a mentor or a counselor. Yeah. He was like, man, you got it. And I don't know if he encouraged me because he just needed staff or he truly believed in me. I think he truly believed in me. Mm -hmm. And within two weeks, I got promoted to like a head counselor Mm -hmm. because I was able to just connect with these kids. Mm -hmm. A lot of the kids were from foster homes and they were, you know, they were like, I saw them, I saw myself. They were giving me the badass kids like, Oh, like, he's he's, he's a trouble kid. Send him to Daniel's (laughs) team. And like these, you know, I know how to talk like them, walk walk like them. You know, I know I can understand the anger and just being a kid and you want to be a rebel. And I remember towards the end of it or like the last week of camp, like the kids like crying, like, man, like this was the best summer with you. Wow. And I told Mo, like, yo, this was like, thank you for this. And, and, he, and he was a social worker. And I was like, yo, I think I want to do this. Mm. And I think it made me feel purpose. I think between my sister, losing my sister and being like, this ain't right. Yeah. You know, my sister is not alive. And, you know, she wasn't a bad person. Mm. Beyond like the crime involved yeah. of her going to jail, it's like, yo, this is like the sweetest person in the world. Oh, she yeah. didn't deserve this. Mm. And I felt like, Maybe this could be a way that I can like hmm. play my part yeah. to this world and really not like like my sister's name can't go down in vain. Like wow. can't just be that's that, it. Yeah. She's she's dead and move on. Yeah. How did you pursue that? Did you go to I school went, for that? I went to or? school. I went to LIU at first Long Island University, okay. Brooklyn campus. My pops was sick of my <laughs> and he was like, You gotta get out the crib. And then my my boy was going to Norfolk State and VA. Yeah. He's like, bro, you could, I got a, a suite. You could kind of sneak in here and, and live with me <laughs> and apply to school. And I was like, sounds like a, a win. One, I'm yeah. about to be homeless. And right. two, I could get an educate, you know, continue my education. Mm-hmm. So I moved down to VA. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you hesitant about leaving New York? At that time, it was like, it was just that domino effect of losing my sister. And it was just like, I was, so lost as a person, like anything. You just needed. It's just whatever. Like at that point, life felt like worthless a little bit. Wow. It was just like, that was like the beginning of my, like my drinking addiction. Like just kind of looking for that escape. Yeah. You know, I didn't. That's how you were coping with yeah, I was co- all the ne- stuff you were dealing with. It was never like a crazy, like I'm waking up and getting drunk, but it was my way out of reality. Hmm especially towards the end of the day, like, you know, I'm going to have a few drinks. I mean, a lot of folks go through it, though, right? Like, you don't have the tools that maybe you have now 
then and also you're younger so you may not be as ready to listen to people and yeah. the advice that they might offer so you go to norfolk you, you do that for a bit and then do you get into actual social work for a little while my last year uh senior year i had to intern for a year i interned for virginia beach social services and that was like amazing mm -hmm. an amazing year to get an understanding of like oh first what happened at camp when i was a counselor and now, like, you know, having like these cases where, you know, these kids will literally be like, I'll drop them off to like their daycare or whatever. Yeah. And they'll be like, yeah, that's my dad. I'll be like, what? Like, <laughs> like, you know, they just like. They latched on. Yeah, they really, I think, you know, when you, at that age, I didn't know what that like, thing that I have, that light that I have, I didn't know exactly how to like specify it or talk about it. I just knew I had something yeah. that connects to people and connected to the youth and to those kids. And But what I knew was that I couldn't nine to five it. Like, really? What was it about it? Is it just too much of the same thing or you had I, other interests? I, I was working at Nordstrom's as a salesman, uh, shoe sales. And I was making more money than my supervisor because I used to kill him with sales, making more money than my supervisor at the social work place I was interning at. And I was like, one, it's not, it wasn't necessarily about the money, mm -hmm. but that was one thing. Like, I'm about to graduate and get paid less than my current job. Yeah. And then two was just like, you know, I'm a rebel at heart. I'm sure I got some versions of ADHD and I'm like, I can't sit in the desk. I can't just be like in front in of a computer. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I like I always tip my hat to social workers because I, I feel like I learned the importance of it mm -hmm. and I learned the impact of it. And I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna continue this, but this is something that I'm doing for the rest of my life. I just yeah. don't know how. Some way, some way, some way, a part of it is going to be with you in your yeah. work as you move forward. Now, as you move forward, you do end up going, you moved across the country. You ended up yeah. going to the Bay, I think, yeah. right? That's around like 2013 or something like that. Yep. So how we go from <laughs> yeah. social work and here and then Nordstrom's to the Bay? Like, that just seems like a very random thing. <laughs> I think moving to VA, one, I got my own apartment there. I was like, oh, I could be a grown-up. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it definitely was like, yo, I got my own <laughs> you know? I think that made me fearless about moving more because the VA step was a was big the step. the first one, yeah. It was like, oh, and it's the South. And, I'm, you know, I learned that Southern hospitality, which was beautiful. <laughs> and then my... Best friend growing up since I was 12, David Ali, he he went to school in the Bay and he was there. He was like, yo, come visit me. I went one time and I was like, yo, I'm going to move here with you. <laughs> and he, at the time, he was a party promoter. Yeah. And he, David's had one job in his whole life. He worked for Lucky Brand when he was like 18, never had a job ever again. He's been on his own entrepreneur kind of figuring this out since he was like 18, 19. <laughs> and he didn't have, well, he wasn't really successful. He was just getting by, mm. but it definitely intrigued me. I was like, bro, you know, I, I was inspired by it. This is somebody I knew my whole life. Mm -hmm. And to see him being like, bro, I just wake up every day and work for myself and figure out how figure I'm gonna get my right. I'm gonna get it, yeah. And I just was like, yo, it, I'm coming. I, Norsham's moved me. We lived there for 10 months, and then 10 months later, I was like, bro, we originally wanted to move to L.A. I was like, I think it's time for L.A. Hmm. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Was it just too, it wasn't fast enough? I think I got comfortable really quick, and I felt like something in my heart was saying, like, this ain't it. This ain't it. I was on a couch, on his couch in the living room. He had a roommate. I told the roommate, like, yo, me and David's going to move out hmm. by next month. A week later, the roommate's like, yo, uh, somebody's going to check out the spot. Can I clean it up? And they were like, wait, wait, wait. I'm not ready. Like, we moving too fast. I was like, nah, bro. We out. We out. And we left March 1st, 2014. Moved to L.A. You moved to L.A. Yeah. So when you get there, what ultimately do you decide to get into? Right? Because you more so moving to, like, kind of go find what you was going to get into. So what, what would that become? I moved March 1st. Nordstrom was supposed to transfer me. The transfer didn't go through. Mm. 
at the time, I told David I had him. Like, I'll pay the rent, I'll figure it out. Like, he would eventually figure it out, but at least I had something that was consistent with yeah. a job. So I was like, I got you. On the first day I got there, they were like, the transfer didn't go through, but you could reapply. I remember just like crying in the shower for like an hour because I felt like, why did I do this? I'm the one who like pushed, pushed the move. It. Yeah. And he's sort of relying on me. And I just it felt that responsibility. We moved into an apartment that there was supposed to be a vacant room. When we get there, literally get there, the room's not vacant. And we were like, <laughs> oh, bro. I'm, I'm like, I called my man's like, yo, who's this guy? <laughs> and they're like, oh, he's, he's going to move out like in a month. I'm like, what? So it was, a, it was a lot of mixing emotions. Yeah. I got my... What is it? The 401k, I, I was like, yo, I need all of it. They're like, well, you're going to get this penalty. I'm like, yo, I just need it. I need wow. whatever it was so there. So you just emptied it? I emptied it out. Uh, I went into an opening ceremony. <laughs> I asked for an, a job. They had me. They, and then that was like sort of the start of L.A. <laughs> and David, I, I was coming back from an interview from opening ceremony. He come up to me with some quarters in his hands. This is like a story that... I always say it's like literally had quarters in his hand. He's like, yo, catch this bus with me to Reseda. I want I want you to meet this girl, Kehlani, I want to work with. I was like, bro, by that time, I we moved to Hoover and Pico. I done got banged on a few times. I'm like, you know, I'm not I, trying LA, to just like, yeah. I, I'm just learning. Yeah, you try you learn in like, the situations bro, in the, the pockets. Nah, he's like that seems seven p.m. Yeah, he said I'm like, bro, too. like I got banged on for wearing like Nikes with a red check. Like, I got it. We gotta take our time here. And then he gave me the best friend guilt of like, yo, you gonna let me go by myself? And I said, hey, let's go. And we, I met Kaylani that day, and they took off and they brought me along with them and. What that capacity was, did you join that team? Started as a stylist, and then I think that just, not even say evolved. I was just like, it was just me and him. We were the only two guys. I think it was like eight of us on tour, uh, her dancers, her photographers. And it was like, yo, first day, yo, can you drive from here to Phoenix? And I'm like, okay. I guess. <laughs> and then the next, we get to the show, it's like, yo, can you help put the stage together and I'm like sure and then all this I'm styling the two dancers and Kehlani mm -hmm. it was 30 shows they gave me a $1,200 budget for them three for 30 shows for 30 shows for the whole thing and it was all they had you know this is my best friend yeah. and this is like my new like you know Kehlani's fam yeah. like we really you know they brought me along in this like more than anything was like this priceless inspiration that I gained from it. I saw the LA dollar in the dream. Hmm. Like I didn't see like nothing that was necessarily given to them. Yeah. It was like they had, they, they were broke. Like Kehlani would give David $20 to go get a haircut because they had an important meeting. And, and I'm like, David, I don't got it. <laughs> he, like Kehlani literally like us sharing meals and well, seeing them do it was like, you know, I think we ended up going on a few tours and she got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think the last tour I was in, I was like, y'all, I got to do something with my, for me. Okay. I was like, this is possible. And I think I was just like inspired. And I think traveling the country and the world. And seeing and meeting so many yeah. different people had to have an impression on you. Yeah. Right. I'm dying to ask then. Where does kids and immigrants come into play, right? Like, what's the origin of this bigger than just a brand? Like, this truly feels like a community and movement, et cetera, multi-hyphenate. When's that idea start to seep in? I met, you know, my co-founder, Wella Dennis, in the Bay. Mm. And we were trying, he was designing leather goods at that time. Um, first day we met, literally soulmates. You know what I mean? Best friend. What do you mean? Like, what was about it? What was it like, between you two that clicked? He came over. It was like 9, 10 p.m. Like, bro, just sleep over, bro. Like, you don't go home. We, Because we was just chopping. Yeah. And um, the next day, I walk him to work. It was like, literally, soulmates. You know, there's no romance, but it was bromance for sure. <laughs> and it's like, I just, 
there was something there that, you know, I couldn't, we couldn't explain it. And he was trying to do like a leathers brand. Within the first day, this is how I knew he felt what I felt. He was like, I'll change the name of my brand today if you want to be a part of it. I'm like, bro, you've been working on this for like a year, <laughs> but we just connected, connected immediately. Yeah. And then we, you know, I helped him with his brand. I didn't want him to change the name of his brand. I think it was called like Wella California at the time. And uh, he brought up Kids of Immigrants. This was 2013. Mm -hmm. And I think at that time, you know, I was working at opening ceremony in Nordstrom. I felt like we looked at fashion through like the lens of high fashion. Mm -hmm. So like Louis and Celine, like we were big Phoebe Philo fans. We were like, man, Phoebe's best. Yep. And we, that's what we aspired yeah. when we thought about fashion. Mm -hmm. And I think we worked for a long time and realized that we didn't have the tools and resources to take it to that level and then be like, wait, well, that's not even really us anyway. Hmm. Like, we're not that. What about it didn't feel like, like y'all? I think overall it's just the connection of it and what it represented. Yeah. I think we loved Celine at that time because how Phoebe was just doing her thing. Yeah, like, and she was Celine just a rebel home. Crazy like, at that time. She was like, I'm gonna have a baby, so no collection coming out. Mm -hmm. And we were like, yeah, we love that. We love you know, it, yeah. Love like, really a, take your time you know, for yourself. That's real. <laughs> um, but there was no connection with it. I mean, I wear, you know, stuff here and there, but I still find trouble connecting with it, mm. you know, and I think it never truly represented me mm. and, you know, mm. Wella and I, we figured this, like, wore polo my whole life, mm -hmm. wore Nautica my whole life, and never been on a boat, never been on a yacht. This American heritage brands or these Italian heritage brands never represented who we are. And Kids of Immigrants in 2013 sounded like a cool name. But then moving to L.A., Pico Union area specifically, next to K-Town is like Koreans on one side and a huge Latino community mm. on the other side. And we we're like, bro, these are all immigrants. And these people felt like fam because I'm like, I can see this person. I can see my uncle and this person or my mom's and that person. And it was just like one day we were like, yo, let's revisit Kids of Immigrants mm. because Three years later, it feels even stronger. It feels of right. a name. It's like, this is who we are. And that was just a big part of the bond between you. When we return, Kids of Immigrants becomes bigger than fashion. What's up, Claim of Stories fam? If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard of Vistaprint, right? I mean, we've been doing a lot of incredible work together to inspire entrepreneurs of color. So we hope you're paying attention. Now, when it comes to printing things, and I mean just about anything for your business, whether it's stickers, t-shirts, tote bags, mugs, and even snapback hats, Vistaprint's got you. They print just about everything. So as you look for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vistaprint. The printabilities are endless at vistaprint.com. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to the Claim of Stories podcast. So it's 2015 and Daniel and Wella have a name for a brand, but they didn't know what they wanted to do with it yet. At that time, it was like, one, I felt like we were going to represent something that was true to us and that was uh, part of the bond of, even though he's from, his parents from Liberia, my parents from Honduras, and how we had so many similarities in the way of our upbringing. Because you'll think of someone, a kid of an immigrant from Africa compared to Central America, you're like, oh, like these are two completely different people. And they, we do have our differences, but it was like, the connection of the pressure of being first generation and mm. that mentality of, you know, that my pops and Wellis pops, like 
we were like, bro, they're like the same person. <laughs> I, hopefully one day they'll meet, but just that pressure and sort of that stern, that like stoic, like male figures in our lives of like, man, you, what I've done for you to be here, you know, I came from uh, this land to a country that I didn't know how to speak the language. I didn't know where I was. Like my father came to Brooklyn with nothing. in the 80s with nothing and figured yeah. it out. So like as an inspiration, that's always been an inspiration, but a lot of his was like work hard, yeah. you know. And I think what we realized was we don't have the capital. We don't have anything to make hmm. to start this brand. Um, but we were so inspired by the neighborhood that we were like, there's no excuse to not do it. Hmm. I, I don't know exactly how, how we're going to do, do it, it, but there's no <laughs> excuse. Like, I think, you know, I always reference and like our heroes were the street vendors because we were like, bro, we're over here crying about not having money or hmm. the tools and resources, bro. Like this person is selling you shoes in front of us. And I always reference the orange juice man. Like mm. he got the, the supermarket cart with 200 oranges mm -hmm. and he's flipping orange juice. And I'm like, bro, that's an entrepreneur. Hmm. He, he know his supply chain. He know his demand. He know his real estate. He know what time he got to be here to really, <laughs> to really know, make the money he, want, the he money, need to make yeah. to get by to, to tomorrow. And I'm like, bro, like there's no excuse. And we were like, I think, Again, making that decision of like, yo, we're gonna do this, regardless of like what we feel like we can't do or don't have the the capacity for, to make happen. Right. We're gonna do because it. Because how'd y'all get creative about like the maybe the supply you use? Well, is the most creative person I know. <laughs> so once I was able to really encourage it to him, like. We are each other, be each other's soundboard, and he started making And I was like, you know, we started putting immigrants and love on clothing, all thrift clothing. Yeah. So y'all would go thrift, find and some and stuff that works, and then print it. Like, That's dope. If it was this jacket, well, it would probably cut the sleeves and make it a vest <laughs> and just draw something. And we created maybe like a 20-piece one-of-one collection. Hmm. And then we shot it and then did the first shirt that was done in sort of production, mm -hmm. and we only made 24 of them, was a, a love shirt. We put KOI in the front mm -hmm. and love in the back. Yeah. And we released it and we told the story. Hmm. And the, we ended up, out of those 24, I think we sold 18 and it sold out first day. How did you sell them? Like, were you like, did online. you do street? You went online. Yeah, but we actually shot it at Street Vendors because that was a whole inspiration yeah. at the time. And it sold out 18 shirts. We went crazy. We sold them at like $25. So I don't know how much money is that. <laughs> it's just a few hundred dollars. And yeah. we we're like, we're rich. But it was the fact that you saw the return on the energy that you had put in, right? Like, it's, you actually found gratification. It was yeah. gratifying. It was an affirmation for us. It was an affirmative, like, yo, okay, we're crazy. <laughs> this is this could work. This could work. Yeah. Did it matter at all? Like at that time, did it have to be profitable? No, I didn't even know what profitable <laughs> meant. <laughs> I think I knew. I thought I knew. Money didn't matter at that at that time. I still tried my best not to be so. Wellis says the best. He says you're not a businessman. You're a man that does business, <laughs> and. I keep that with me at heart because, you know, it's like what they say, you know, money just kind of dilutes, makes it boring, makes it not fun anymore. It's about numbers and analytics. You kill the spirit. Kill the whole creative spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It gets bogged down in processing data. <laughs> you got to have a balance, right? You got to have the balance. Now, you know, thinking about your brand and also thinking about the time in our country in 2016 and in the world in general. You know, LA is well known as a place where migrants settle and form communities. And in that time, there's a lot of conversation about building a wall. There's a lot of conversation around this Muslim ban. What was kids of immigrants role you felt during that time? Like how did y'all need to show up? Did you feel responsibility in showing up for your community? How'd you feel about it? 
when those things were happening, Trump got into office and there was definitely a big political take on the brand. I think one, th me and Wella, we've never been into the politics of things. And I can, you know, I can rant about that. I grew up, the way I grew up, and this is just my, from experience. Yeah. I don't want to say it's the truth, but my, my truth in my experience, and I think things have, I've looked at things differently, but at that time I was like, politics, I don't care. For me, it was like, if you're a Democrat or a Republican, it's the Lakers versus the Celtics, it's still the NBA, okay. it's still the same still the same you know platform so at that time we wasn't really into it i think what i realized that was the beginning of and which i now am very like happy to be a part of is how much it empowered those people in those worlds mm. like if you are mm. taking a stance against anything that's going on and then this shirt or this brand and this movement is empowering you I love that, you know, that's, I think we all have different ways to like, what I say, you know, like make this world a better place yeah. in our own unique way. I'm not necessarily driven in that mm -hmm. politic world. I think the way I came up was like, I don't care who was, who was the president, like that never helped It never me. really impacted that my, never, like, my man, day to day. I don't care who the president was mm -hmm. and I think for me, it was about what are, what am I going to do to help me and what are we going to do as people to help ours. us? Mm. Like, I think the term support your friends, which is our, one of our big slogans, was that. Mm. Like, I don't go about who's not supporting us. Mm. I care about who's supporting me mm. and making something happen with them. So for me, the external kind of like politics of things wasn't Especially six years ago, I was much younger and, you know, I was a little more like, I don't give a <laughs> like, you know, I care a little bit more nowadays. But at that time, none of that phased us. But what I realized was how many people were empowered by our brand to go protest, to go, you know, lead a campaign mm -hmm. or to go, you know, do all these things, I, I realized that our intention to empower mm -hmm. was actually transcending in ways that I never couldn't, knew could couldn't go. Couldn't even imagine. Yeah. And, I, and I think learning that was like, wow, like this, this is more than just how I think kids of immigrants is. Mm -hmm. This is like someone who doesn't care about fashion being like, you know, I'm in this space to change the world the way I know hmm. and wearing your shirt empowers that and I was like that's tight that's, that's tight that's <laughs> <laughs> I want to read you this quote and I want to know what it means to you the quote is this is not about policy this is about humanity what does that mean to you did I say that maybe <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's something that I said um, um, the, the context was relative to um, border angels oh yeah I think at that time, it was like, I don't need policy to know what's right or wrong. You know, like I said earlier, you know, I'm, I, I live and die for the truth. Mm -hmm. And I felt that always. And I always felt that I think when associated to politics can go down like, you know, just a road that, you know, I don't. This is not a discussion about what's right or wrong. It's like, this is the truth. This is it, yeah. And this is not, this is wrong. Like, yeah. this is not about what your views are. I don't care what color skin you are. Mm -hmm. If something's wrong, it's just wrong, you know? So I think for us was like, let's, we wanted to like live by those, just our morals, mm. you know? I think that was just, it, it was like, at the time, you know, I, I say this, we, I feel like we had an opportunity to have a million dollar Trump t-shirt. Like we could have made could've money. Made, yeah. it. Like we had, we were in the right position. 2016, yep. people were like, yo, make, make a shirt about Trump. And, we'll, and we we'll literally it. had some big people hitting us for it. And we're like, this can be an opportunity to like make a statement, mm -hmm. even though, but it wasn't true to us. Yeah. It's it like, felt performative. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was just hopping on, like, okay, let's hop on this bandwagon and, 
you know, I, it wasn't like that. I don't have those opinions or those sentiments, but yeah. it was just like, that's not why we made that's it. That's not what you want the brand to be represented. Like, you don't want, the, if somebody leaves, you know, one thing about kids immigrant, you don't want it to be that shirt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be known as the Trump shirt. Yeah. Or when we went into inspiration as to, like, why are we doing this, you know, represent us, represent our parents, our roots, all that. Like, Trump was never on the mood board. <laughs> <laughs> never on the never mood board. On the board. <laughs> <laughs> Moving up a bit, fast forwarding a bit into 2021, right? Kids of Immigrants and Vans, and y'all have been working together for, for some time, but on this particular project, you know, it was called Anything is Possible, was the message. What's the significance of that partnership or even that particular collaboration to you? I mean, even being in that room with Vans, it was like, anything is possible. Mm. It felt like, Anything is possible has been part of an internal conversation between Wella and I. And that was always like, yo, we're gonna do, we're gonna make the impossible possible. Yeah. And I feel like we always just wanna tell honest stories. You know, we wanna just really just say what no one else could say because it's true to us. Yeah. And we were in a room with Vans and we this was our third shoe coming out with Vans and it was just a point of like our 2021 Vans last year. Um, it was <laughs> right, just, it feels oh, like it was, forever it was pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it was pan. You know, the pandemic was still. You know, I don't know where what phase of the pandemic we're in now, but we're like we had our biggest growth that year mm -hmm. during the pandemic, and it was like, wow, like mm -hmm. this is truly our life, and I felt like. You know, at core, we want to continue to inspire. And I think in my heart, oh yeah, I remember the conversation. It was like, this was going to be the biggest Vans release. Mm -hmm. It was going to be a bit bigger than the two other before. And I told Debbie, our creative director, like, I don't want to lose the human touch. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to- With like, the volume can, that comes with yeah, it. Yeah, okay. we can never like not, if our, community of our people start feeling like we're becoming so big that it's no longer relatable or feasible. I think I always keep that. I think Mandela told Will, I think was it Will Smith to always shake people's hand mm -hmm. to let them know that you're real. Mm -hmm. I'm a real person. Yeah. You can do this too. Yeah. That's like Dap. Like Dapper Dan, he still stands out in Harlem, same yeah. block. He's like, yeah. I'm here. Yeah, it's my neighborhood. <laughs> I, 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 I've come across David Dan a few times and he'll look at you in the yeah, eye. And, straight up. And I remember just, you know, because creatively we start thinking all this wild shit. Oh, we, let's make it, let's go over the hill and let's go to Honduras and shoot <laughs> it. Um, but I was like, yo, let's, for us, it was like the bigger we grow, the deeper we got to dig in. Mm. And we wanted just to truly connect it to like, the people who we represent yeah. um, and never lose. I think we've, at that point, we've been growing. So the brand has grown into people that maybe don't connect to it. Maybe they like it because it feels a little bit like trendy or whatever it is. It's like, all that is cool, but we never want to lose touch yeah, with yeah, why and those people that yeah. that matter. Speaking of like, you know, digging deep and staying connected, you know, that, that shoe, you know, kind of described as like, a Chinese laundry bag inspired insole with this yellow reminiscent of like household lamps, right? What was like, what was the intention of the story behind that that you wanted to get across? I think sometimes like when we look at some of like the immigrant culture, <laughs> it feels a little tacky at times. It's like, you know, you're, it's the plastic on the couch and you know, the immigrant culture is sort of the struggle culture. I, I think we have identified us as like kids of immigrants and kids of the struggle because you don't, I'll identify with somebody who's not a kid of immigrant, but it's from the hood and yeah. we have a lot of those similarities. So I think it was just the tackiness of grandma's living room. It was like, just like the plastic, like I see it everywhere now, but I think that was for us has been for six plus years now that we've made what I think growing up felt weird and what felt like some yeah, like be ashamed of and yeah, stuff like exactly. that. I mean, I was ashamed of my parents not talking English. I was mm -hmm. ashamed that, you know, parents teachers conference, I got to translate everything. I got to read my mom's mail. I got to get on the phone and talk to the, the credit card man yeah. for my pops. Like, you know, I was ashamed of all those things, the food we ate, 
the ass whoopings we got. Yeah. You know, it was very immigrant yeah, like yeah, it was for a lot. us. And I think when I started the brand with Wella, we were just owning and on our, getting our power back. Yeah. Everything we, you know, Wella says something all the time. It's like, we want to inspire versus aspire. Like, hmm. meaning like we want to, for our community, we want to inspire them to be themselves, to look at their surroundings and say, I'm going to do something with this. With this, yeah. I think a lot of people, brands, you know, sell aspirations. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to do what they're doing yeah. and get what they're getting. <laughs> and, you know, you're never looking at yourself mm. and being like, I'm inspired by this to be me. Yeah. And I think that was like a doing the shoe in that tacky way and we called it like this is going to be like the sunday best shoe and like you know <laughs> sunday you know get fly yeah, you, know, yeah, you know church fits. church fits um <laughs> and yeah so we put all the elements on it to was inspired by you know uh our living rooms and you know the rug and then the plastic on top of the rug and you know that type of i love it i my grandma did that too. <laughs> so six years, right? And you've had your ups, you've had your downs. Um, we talked a lot about some of these great ups. I'm curious to know what surprises came along the way, you know, like uh, financial or, you know, stuff that you're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think throughout the whole time, it's been challenges, it's challenges today. I feel like... Uh, Maybe in the beginning was like not knowing how to run a business. I still, I'm still learning a lot of that now. So when you say profitable, it's like, I thought we were profitable. I remember like being scared to pay my taxes the first two years because I was like, we made this amount of money. I'm looking at my Shopify. I'm yeah. like, but in actuality, that's all gross. <laughs> we didn't, we made nothing. We're in the negative. Yeah. But Damn. I'm thinking like, I got to pay that money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, you owe, if you make money, you're going to owe taxes. You gotta owe, yeah, if you, you gotta didn't pay make taxes. money, you're probably not going to owe any tax. But I didn't know any better. I just saw a number. And I assume yeah. like, I got it. Just yeah. because you know what you hear, you know. It's yeah, just, and I don't know. And um, I think we literally had to dissolve the first LLC, which was like, year three and restart the company internally no one knows about yeah, this yeah. you know everybody just sees the instagram yeah, you, see, like, yeah. you know with everything yeah. on social like they always see us up <laughs> uh, and i remember just like it was tough for me it was tough for the team it's like to their to everyone's defense is like bro we're not making any money like how do we continue this if we yeah. see the impact and i think we learned like we we're cultivating this community, but community will not always equal numbers and profits. And it's this priceless thing that you're doing out of your heart. And then when it doesn't equate to money, it's, it's, it's not supposed to. Yeah, and it, those and things it, don't, it's not always something that connects, oil and water, right? Yeah, These are like, two separate things. Yes, they yeah. can overlap, but yeah. it's not a given. Right, it's not. So it was hard because we knew how much we were investing in that part of, like, that was just our passion. We knew we wanted to continue. I remember, like, we donated, like, five Gs to Inner City Arts and year one to um, this art program in L.A. My boy David Ali was like, bro, you don't even got five Gs in your, in your bank account. You're donating it? You got to help yourself first before you help anyone else. <laughs> I just said it in his voice, but um, <laughs> like, and I was like, it's not that annoying, but it was just like, bro, I'm just doing out of my you're heart. You're just doing what I feel is yeah. right. Like you're not, I don't know any other way to yeah. do this. It's like, this is why I'm doing it. It's not necessarily for the business. I do have a vision and I do want a family one day and have, you know, nice things. But um, so, you know, kind of having to dissolve the first company and restart the company and being like, here we go again, like, let's try this again. And then I, I felt like it started working. It, it, it never really stopped working. It was just money. It was just money. A, you're, talking, you're just talking about operational. Yeah, that the brand clearly was still strong. Yeah, it was still <laughs> like people were like, man, love what you're doing. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just started over again. And I think we started 
trying to figure out how to make it a thing more. I think learned a lot. I think then, you know, it didn't really pick up. I don't want to say it picked up after that because it, it had its moments. It was definitely growing. And then I think during when the pandemic started and then this George Floyd moment and Black Lives Matter movement just went, that was like a weird, it's crazy because it's like, this was like my ego at the time. I felt like going in my lane. When I say that, it's like brands and people mm -hmm. and artists, like everybody like, yo, buy this. We're and about this charity. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we're about this. Like, we're about the people, mm. you know? But the truth is that that was an amazing thing that people started shifting, you know, some for performance. And I'm not here to judge how you did, why you did it. But at least there were some, hopefully, people mm -hmm. benefiting off of this, whether it was performance act or whether it was a genuine act. Yeah. And I think my ego was more like, wait, we, we've been doing we've this been for doing four this. years. Yeah. Like, and I think we, we took a break, the team. And then when we came back, we're like, yo, let's, we see all these brands like, Literally, narrative shifted. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're donated yep. to the workers over here, to this organization over <laughs> there. And when we came back out, after taking like a two, three months break, like biggest collection ever. Hmm. And I felt like our community and our people were like, this is cool, but this is, this these is, are, these they, are the they've been really doing this who's work. We've been doing it for years. And we just never, like, I never, I, not that I hate it, but it's just like, I don't ever like to say I'm doing charity work. I'm not ever doing anything. It's not donation based. We're not a nonprofit. Like, to be honest, like knowing the, the laws of life, you know, what I give, I receive 10 times for, you know, more. So it's like, I don't ever feel like, oh yeah, I'm this person who's doing good. And it's like, bro, I'm just, I got some morals and some principles. This is just straight. You know, I, I say this, it's like, I saw a lot of people doing all this work. I'm like, bro, I met you before. You're not a kind person. You're not a nice person. So I was just, that made me feel like, like for us, it was never about that. You know, it was never about trying to perform. It was like, this is who we are as people. This is what we want to do to help our own yeah. and represent ourselves. We're not out here trying to get on the, do this for the news, do this for, you know, celebrity clout, like none of that, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, there definitely was a lot of that <laughs> so, during that time. It, it was good. You know, I think looking back and I was quick, well, quickly I was like, man, like at least someone's been, hopefully someone's benefiting off of this. There's a community organization benefiting off of these, this shift. And I think for us, we are like, we were encouraged to keep doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Like, actually, let's let's put the the pedal to the metal now. Let's really go hard because I think we also, or I felt that even though people were crossing to this lane of like social impact with brand marketing, we felt three years ahead of the game of at course. that time. You had already had all the equity. We're like, <laughs> I mean, y'all doing what how we started, so we learned so much. Yeah. By now, this year four, we're going to year four. I got four years of experience mm -hmm. of like how this works and not work. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, as you think about the evolution of the brand and the company, and even yourself, how do you feel like you've grown throughout all of this? Man, I think that's like the number one thing. Mm -hmm. I, I've grown so much that if there was no KOI tomorrow, I'll be so grateful that. I was able to trust myself, well, gain trust in myself, gain trust in my thoughts and my beliefs. And I think in the past year, going to therapy, the sad thing about going to therapy for me was that I only went because someone, my girl told me that you'll be a better leader at work. Mm. If you go to therapy, I didn't do it for my person. You first, you did it They're for you like, second. Oh, you! I'll be a better like leader at work. Cool. Like I'm prior to therapy, KOI was the the number one, two, and three priority. Mm. Then maybe me and my family, and friends after. Mm. So when I went, yes, it made me a better leader at work, but it made it made me realize so much about myself. Mm 
which then goes into work, personal relationships, and so on. But me wanting to be the best person I can be in my position for kids of immigrants is really what, you know, motivated a lot of the growth for me. And like that, you got to keep going. I think, you know, this year, this is kind of personal. I don't really talk about this, but like was my first year being like, I've been saying this for a while, but like you got to, I've like the drinking, you got to stop. Like, like completely stop. No, I think I'm always, I'm a fun person. I'm going to have fun <laughs> for the rest of my life. I don't think I want to necessarily like quit like cold yeah. turkey, but the reliance, the dependence mm-hmm. on it. And sometimes like the brainlessness of it, you know, like you don't yeah. even know maybe that you're even doing it yeah. really. And that's how it's been for me. Because again, it's never been like a, I'm going to wake up and just, you know, start pounding mm-hmm. beers. Yeah. But like, it's always definitely been a crutch for me. Hmm. And then like going to therapy and understanding my mind. I think it was, therapy was great and understanding that it's not just the body craving of it, it's the mind's wired already that hmm. way. So like understanding my mind and like, I literally did this to be a better person at work. Mm-hmm. And then going to therapy, starting to realize like, wait, Let's do this to be a better person for you, which would then go into (laughs) everything else. else. (laughs) But I think that's like, you know, that was, I think I I tell my team all the time, it's just like, that was just me in survival mode. And I'm still in it like a little bit. Like that was just me like, I just gotta hustle. I gotta gotta make this work every day. Like, and being scared of like, if I don't don't wake up today and go to the, like, you know, sick, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm yeah. I'm trapping today. I'm yeah. working today. Yeah. And like, you know, it it's almost sounds like prioritizing myself was like, bro, you don't got time for that. <laughs> like go go get this work done. And then like having that faith now to put myself first and still being in that transition of it and seeing how things are getting better <laughs> by just me putting me first. It, it, <laughs> It sounds simple, but when you're in it so, so much it's and when hard. like, and when like failure is so scary, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I don't even matter. I got to make this work. It don't matter if you don't, if you feel sad today, if you feel mad, it don't matter. Go work. Mm-hmm. Like nothing else matters. And I think I'm finally getting to those stages where I'm like, bro, like take care of yourself. Watch everything else fall into place. And it sounds good, but to actually do it, it's, it's practice. Practice. Man, I, I appreciate you being so vulnerable about that because that's like, you know, a lot of us, you know, struggle with that. Like that being able to step away and not have this thing in the back of your mind that everything's going to fall apart. But reality is like, well, if you're not together, then how are we going to even be able to keep doing all this stuff? How are you going to be able to show up for your team? How are you going to show up for your family, show up for your business, you know? When you think about the young ones coming behind you, whether it's some that you know from back home or some that you don't even know that's just looking at you and are inspired, what advice would you offer them on their entrepreneurial path? And I I admire the youth so much. Um, I think you're probably around my age. Mm -hmm. And I didn't grow up saying, I don't think we grew up saying, I want a business, like I want to start my own you know, I go to high schools. I still like, you know, Saturday I got a career day at this art program, but I go to high school and talk to these kids and they're like, yeah, I want to start my own business. I'm oh like, yeah, what? already. <laughs> like, so it's, I think that's, that's amazing. I feel like there's a lot of information out there. Um, and I think there's wisdom and there's information. So I think like, I always encourage like, kind of like finding yourself and finding your place and in my heart and in my prayer every day is like to inspire yeah i think i to what i was saying the inspire versus aspire i want to continue to be so brutally honest with my story that it not necessarily makes you it doesn't inspire you to be you it inspires you to to really dig into yourself hmm. and i think that i hope that kids of immigrants and myself continue to do that. Like, yo, 
like your niche, that unique that you are, that no one is, that's literally your power in a way and believing in that. And I feel like when we first started, there wasn't too many brands that kind of represented something outside of height, mm-hmm. skateboard, hip hop, you know, yeah. which I, I love everything. I yeah. grew up to everything. Um, but this was just our own lane. And now I see a lot more brands being representing something deeper than these like things that have been done in the past. And the people who did it to the past, they created something that has allowed us mm. to come in and say, we're going to do it this way, though. Yeah. That was Daniel Buzo, co-founder of Kids of Immigrants. Find out more about Daniel and get access to all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to rate and review us. Stay up to date with our latest news following us on Instagram at Stories, or you can reach out with a message at hello at ClaimaStories.com. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fragozo, Pervy Patel, Natalie Yazzie, Jericho Trim, and the team over at DB Podcasts. Original music provided by Adrian Anaya and vocals provided by Rosella. Special thanks to Jordan Dinwiddie, Cena Clark, Clint Blaine, and Damian Mitchell. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to the Claim of Stories podcast, powered by Vista. Vista.